Let's pray as we open. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this idea that we could experience you, the creator of the universe, that we could know you and be known by you and have a relationship. So, Father, tonight as we seek to know you through your word, I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us. For without your Holy Spirit, we can't understand your word. It'll just be a mystery. But your spirit reveals truth, and truth has a name. His name is Jesus. Would you reveal him to us tonight? We pray in his name. And amen. Session number six. And uh, this will be halfway through the 12 weeks. God speaks. And God speaks through prayer. That's one of the ways that God speaks. And many people have the idea that when we pray, we're the ones speaking. You'd be only half right. When we pray, God is also communicating with us. So the question tonight begins in day one is what happens when we pray? If God does communicate with his children, his followers, and then we come and pray, what happens? Is it possible that we think too small when it comes to our relationship with God? And let me frame that, what I'm trying to say. What do you think that God, what do you think God wants for you? Let's just start there. So when we're praying to our Father, what do you think He wants for you? Do you think He has your best interest at heart? Do you think He wants good things for His children? Example, and then we'll get into some detail. In Mark chapter 2, it reveals the story of some incredible friends who brought a crippled man to Jesus. I know everybody knows the story. These incredible friends, the reason I call them incredible friends is because they go up on the roof of the house and tear off the roof of the house and let this dude down through the roof on ropes, I guess, in front of Jesus so that they can get their crippled buddy in front of Jesus. And what are they, what are, and I call them incredible friends, what are they expecting physical healing, right? Just fix his legs. Just get him where he can walk. We won't have to carry him. He'll have an abundant life, right? They came for physical healing. But when they encountered Jesus, was Jesus satisfied to give them only that small expectation? No, 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 no. You think that's an unusual thing? He wanted to give them more, much more. In fact, what Jesus gives is a spiritual and the physical healing. And how he did it really mystified the people there, especially the religious people. And what did he say? Your sins are forgiven. What? We came for the leg procedure. You've got us confused with somebody next door. We came to get his legs fixed. No, your sins are forgiven. You see, what Jesus wanted was give him immeasurably more than they could have ever asked for or imagined. Ultimately, sin is our biggest issue because it has separated us from God. It separates us from knowing God and being known by God. Sin put this gulf between us, this distance. So if you could deal with the sin, what would you do? You would deal with the gap between us. So he addresses immeasurably more than they could have ever asked or imagined. So what happens when we pray? I'm asking all of you a question tonight. Do you possibly think too small when you pray? Do you possibly measure God from a human perspective? Measure him from, well, I don't want to ask for too much or I don't want to expect too much from you, Lord. Really? Is that the way you should approach your father? Years ago, I began closing up many of my prayer times with uh, Ephesians 3.20. I kind of have changed the words of it a little bit just to fit the application. Uh, But when I get to the end of my prayer time, just about every day, I say, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than I... I don't know why that's emotional to me, but it is. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. All power, glory, and honor 
belongs to you, Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son, who is forever praised. Amen. And the reason I pray that prayer, and I suppose the reason it's emotional to me, is that I think that I can imagine a lot. He's able to do more than I can imagine, and I can imagine a lot. I got a big imagination. I can ask for a lot. And whatever that is, he's way beyond that. I can ask and imagine a lot, but our God sees immeasurably more for his children than we could ever imagine. Never forget that when you pray, that he's a perfect father. And I wonder if many times our earthly fathers um, gave us a view of fathers that isn't very large. And I've got a great earthly father. That's not coming from me. Um, but I know a lot of people had some trouble in their life, adolescence, from their earthly fathers. And, and because of that, they, they, they struggle with how they see their heavenly father because they could never imagine immeasurably more from their earthly father. So they can't hardly imagine immeasurably more from their heavenly father. I can give you a testimony tonight. When I came to Nineveh Christian Church some 20 years ago, I could never have asked or imagined for what he has done here. There is absolutely no imagination. If I came here, and listen, let me kind of tell you what I mean, what I mean by that. When I came here and I resigned and, and, and just went all in here, I had an expectation that if we could get up to 75, 100 people in this church, that, that would be, I'd fly high the rest of my life. That'd be it. I did. You know what? I didn't have any expectations. Uh, I knew my qualifications were nothing, and I, I thought just as I was just happy to be a part of what he was going to do. And he has done so much more. In fact, I, um, just the other day, we we're filling out a report. There have been almost 850 people baptized here in the last 20 years. 850 people. Listen, that's him. That's him. And I want you to know that's why when I say that scripture now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine, all power, glory, and honor belongs to you, Father, through Jesus Christ, the Son who is forever praised. Amen. Because I know where it comes from. By the way, I baptized one at four o'clock this afternoon. So there's one more. You and I can never, we can't even imagine a prayer that will come close to what God has planned for his children. Let that sink in for a moment. Whatever you might dream up that you, would, that you would want to put in front of your father, your father would say, nah, it's too small. Now, I'm thinking about not just in this life, but in the life to come. Because you're going to be his child, not just in this life, but in the life to come. This is where the Spirit comes in power to reveal God, the very heart of God to us, we need, to, we need to be able to experience the very heart of God so that we can experience God, to know Him and to be known by Him. So here's where the Spirit comes in. So let's let the Word of God reveal the Spirit's ability to reveal God to us. 1 Corinthians 2.9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen. Here comes the immeasurably more. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. What God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us. You can't get it. But God has revealed it to us how? By the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. Even the deep things of God. So who could know the mind of God? The Spirit of God, right? Who could know the mind of Terry? Who, who could know me? The Spirit, my Spirit knows me. My spirit operates inside my spirit. So even the, verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Well, that doesn't help me unless the spirit happens to share what he knows about the father with me. Just him knowing it doesn't do me any good unless he happens to share it with me. Here we go. Verse 12. We have not received the spirit of this world. Somebody say hallelujah. Because that's the spirit of darkness and you'll never know the truth. 
We have not received the spirit of this world, but we, we have received the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may understand, so that we may understand, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That begins with no mind has conceived, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God. But, 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 he has the Spirit. So in our natural flesh, our mind, our eyes, our, our ears, our physical body cannot conceive what God has planned. But there is the Spirit, and the Spirit wants to reveal what God has freely given to us. Why? Why? So that we might know Him. So that we might experience Him. The power of the future. So what is that talking about? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared. That's a future tense announcement. The power of the future is not in me. It is not in you. It is in God. God is wanting us to open our lives to what He has for us and stop fighting Him. This is the power of experiencing God. We must lay down our plans and agendas to experience the future that God has planned for us. Because uh, if you go through these crisis of belief moments, and we're going to get into that more in the future, when you get to this crisis of belief moment, the best way I can describe it, you're going down a road, you encounter God, and you can't go forward and you can't go backward. You're going to either turn right or you're going to turn left. In that moment, you know that, for example, God is toward the right. It is a crisis of belief because usually turning right at that point is the hardest of the two choices. And what God wants for you is on that road to the right. But inside of you and the circumstances that surround you always lead you to go to the left. And the problem with going to the left is you're starting to walk away from the very immeasurably more things that He has already planned for you. Rather than embracing them and walking toward them by faith, you're actually walking away from them through fear or doubts or unbelief or circumstances. We'll get into that in a minute. We have not received the spirit of this world. You know what the spirit of the world does? It turns left at the crisis of a belief moment. It walks away from God. We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. When you pray, you are listening for God's response and direction. Are you? I think I've covered this already. Let me say it again. When you pray, you've got to change this mindset that you are the only one communicating. You must go to prayer expectancy with expectancy, listening, listening. Sometimes just be still. Sometimes just be silent. When you pray, are you listening for God's response and direction? When you read the Bible, let me ask you, when you read the Bible, are you listening for God's direction and enlightenment? Going through the motions without any expectation will never bring your heart to the place to hear from God. So if you're reading the Bible today, yeah, I'm going to read the Bible. As for you, do not pray for those people. Actually, that is what I just turned to. As for you, do not pray for This is uh, Jeremiah 7, 16. This is kind of prophetic in itself. As for you, do not pray for these people. Do not offer a cry or prayer of their, on their behalf. And do not beg me, for I will not listen to you, God said to Jeremiah in the last days. Ooh, I think that was a prophetic moment, just this. You know why? Because I was having a conversation with the guy in the back, and that's exactly what I just told him. And he knows who he is, that we're having a hard time praying for our nation right now. And I said that I'm having a hard time too. And there was a time when God told Jeremiah, stop praying for the nation. And then I opened that up to do a silly illustration, and that's exactly what I just read. So you figure it out. Whoa, let's go back over here and see if I can start over. <laughs> Going through the motions without expectancy is to deny the reality of God. Here at the church, one of my favorite places to pray is right there. That's my spot. 
It's just a spot. There's nothing about that except that's my spot. And when I come to that spot, I come expecting. I'm listening. If I'm not coming to listen, what am I doing? If I don't come with expectancy, if I'm going to enter the presence of God and I have no expectations, really? What am I doing? It's like defaming him. It's dishonoring to him. God is giving you and I the word. So when I get into reading this book, I need to read it with expectation. What just happened just a moment ago? You need some physical evidence. He's, he's wanting us to read it with expectation. The Word of God is alive. It's alive. God has given you a heart to pray. Pray with expectancy. Seek, knock, and ask. This applies to the ways that God reveals Himself. In Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus says this. And do you think it's literal? You think this is literal? Oh, it's not literal. He don't really want me to do that. Really? Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Is that coming with expectancy? So if I'm going to ask, I need to be expecting him to answer. If I'm going to seek, I need to be expecting. I'm, I'm going to knock, I'm expecting him to open the door. And to not have expectancy when I do that is to dishonor God. So how long? Okay, preacher, it's a pretty good point, but I've been doing that for a long time now. Somebody will tell me that. I know you will. How long? What if God doesn't answer my prayers? Two things. First, we should search our own lives to make sure there's no unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our lives. So if you're in the time of prayer and you're in a time in which there's a lot amount of waiting and you're praying and you're praying fervently and you're expecting and as far as you know, you have no idea why, you need to go inside. You need to go inside and you need to search your own heart. You need to see if there's any sin in your own house. You need to make sure that you, are, you have confessed and repented of that sin. Confessed and repented of that sin. And in some cases, there may even need to be restoration of that sin. Uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a situational thing. You may even have to restore something inside of that. Repentance isn't just got sore, sorry you got caught. Okay? Some people think repentance is, whoops, I got caught. I'm repentant. Repentance is to change your direction. You've changed. You're not facing away from God anymore. You've turned and faced God. But let's just say that you can't find any unconfessed sin in your life. You're repentant. Secondly, we must trust in the love of God to do what he does exactly on time. You're just going to have to trust God. Now, here's where it gets interesting tonight. The story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is a great example of what I just said. If Jesus had come when they called him, they would not have experienced immeasurably more. Right? So they send a message to Jesus. He's already traveling away from them. They send a message by courier. They, somebody says, your friend, Lazarus, our brother, Lazarus, is sick, maybe unto death. You got to get here quick. And he deliberately delayed a number of days. In fact, by the time that he does get back to, it's Bethany, I think. By the time he does get back there where they live, Lazarus is dead and buried four days. Lazarus has crossed the red line, right? Once you cross the red line, nobody comes back from the red line, right? Especially four days on the other side of the red line, nobody comes back four days. Now, they don't know who he is quite yet. You see, Mary and Martha knew Jesus personally before this. That's why they had the liberty to say, would you come? They had a personal relationship with Jesus. They knew Jesus personally, but they didn't know him to be who he was about to reveal himself. They didn't know that he was the resurrection and the life. So Jesus is going to stand in front of Mary and Martha and a group of people gathered in the graveyard around Lazarus and say these words. I am the resurrection and the life. He's revealing his identity. They didn't know that before. 
So they waited four days in great suffering and anguish. Where are you? Why didn't you come? If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you come? I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me will live, even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? What if Jesus had not made them wait? They would have only known about him what they knew about him. But because of the waiting, yes, even in the time of suffering, what they knew about Jesus went from this to this. And can I say this? The resurrection of the dead is immeasurably more than healing Lazarus' physical body. What did he give them? immeasurably more than they would ever have asked or imagined. What did they want? Just heal him today. I don't want to just heal you today. I want to heal you forever. I want to do all of it. But what did it take? Waiting. Interesting, isn't it? Resurrection is immeasurably more than physical healing. And by the way, Jesus has no red line. It doesn't matter. Matthew 7, 9, great illustration. Jesus says, which of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? (laughs) I thought about having a show of hands, but I don't think it would end good. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. (laughs) How much more? Anybody see immeasurably more yet? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask you? I don't know how many times that scripture has powerfully affected my life in a certain circumstance where I'm like, uh, I'm not understanding what's going on. And then I keep coming back to this. Do I really believe that he doesn't have my best interest at heart? Because I know I can give really good gifts to my children and really, really, really good gifts to my grandchildren. (laughs) I can. I can. Trust me, I can. How much more? And I'm sinful. I'm a sinful man. Listen, I'm still under the flesh. How much more do you think he can do for us in comparison. If your heart is truly surrendered to God, and that's a big if, and you experience silence in your time with God, there are two possibilities. Something in your life is not aligned with God. There's disobedience, rebellion, sin, or something. Or something bigger is coming. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Or something bigger is coming and he's wanting you to wait for it. Allow God to develop your character and faith in the time of waiting. And let me just add this. Why don't you just go on and decide that you're going to wait for the immeasurably more because it's always better to get the immeasurably more than anything I could ask or imagine now. You can't out give him. Keep knocking, seeking and asking. Keep praying and studying his word. Do it with expectancy. Don't become frustrated or impatient. Trust that he is able to reveal himself at the proper time. So my day one summary, all this is day one. I'm going to be in trouble again today. All this is day one summary. Jesus was wanting to reveal something new to Mary and Martha. Something they would have never experienced without the waiting. Something immeasurably more for his children. So if you're in a time of waiting, I look across the audience, who knows what y'all are individually dealing with. But if you're in the time of waiting, and you're asking, and you're seeking, and knocking, and asking, and you're, you're, you're trying your best to, to find this relational relationship with the Lord, and, and you feel like it's just wait, 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 just believe that He's able to give you immeasurably more than you would ever have asked or imagined. Day two. God speaks through circumstances. Do you believe that God will use circumstances and events around you to communicate today? What just happened a moment ago? That just random, I just thumbed through the Bible and hit something. I just did it again. Same one. I'm going to quit doing that. (laughs) That's the same page. 
Do you believe he works through circumstances? John 5, 17, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. How do you know that? My father's always at work to this very day. My father's working. How does he know his father's working? And I too am working. The circumstances, here we go. This gets a little deep. The circumstances were the things Jesus saw the Father doing. So let me make sure you're getting this. Jesus could look around him and see God working in people's lives. You remember when he walks into that town and Zacchaeus is in the tree? And there's a huge crowd of people, so many people that that you think, how am I going to minister to this mass of people? But God wasn't calling him to minister to that mass of people. He was going to minister to that one guy in that tree. He had the ability, God gave him the ability to see what the father was doing. The father had created some fertile soil in Zacchaeus' life. And Jesus was going to be the seed that penetrated that soil that day. And he happens to be up in a tree. He's going to go to that guy's house. You see, listen, um, the circumstances, the people around him, what's happening were the things Jesus saw the Father doing. Only the Father can do certain things. And I'll show you why I say that. Jesus knew that man has this limiting ability, but God doesn't, that's the red line thing. God doesn't have any limitations. He knows that the Father can do anything, and he's the only one that does certain things. Jesus was so connected to the Father through the Spirit that he could see the work of the Father around him, and Jesus adjusted himself to the Father's activity. That's why he says in John 5.30, the next verse, I can do nothing on my own. Now, let's face it. Most of us Christians read that and think, huh? You're the Son of God. I can do nothing on my own. Where does he get everything from? His connection to the Father. Everything flows from the Father into Him. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. This brings up a vital point of faith tonight. How do you see the things that are happening around you right now? We could talk about this for two weeks. Okay, the COVID-19. The six, seven-month pandemic that's got people terrified out of their gourd. How do you see the circumstances of the world right now from your perspective? You standing here looking at the world, what do you see? Do you see them from a human perspective or through the eyes of God? Do you, or do you interpret the signs of the times from human perspective or through the lens of the Spirit? There have been many things in my life that didn't make sense from a human perspective. But is that how I should see my circumstances? This COVID-19, how the world has responded to COVID-19 does not make sense to me from a human perspective. Does not. I, I don't get most of the response that's taken place. So, that's how, let me, let me rephrase it. If you're in the middle of a storm, if you're in the middle of something that's kind of got you off a little bit, how you see it is going to determine specifically how you respond to it, correctly or incorrectly. So let, let that be the basis where we go. Jesus would watch and see what the Father was doing, and then he would adjust his life to the will of the Father. This would be impossible if we only operate from a human perspective. We must be able to see things from a spiritual perspective, and how in the world can I do that? Come on, how, come on, I can't do that. I can if I have the Holy Spirit. Okay? I cannot without the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, I can. Only the Holy Spirit can give us those type of eyes to see the circumstances around us and interpret them from God's perspective. Not mine, God's perspective. So here's what Blackaby does in the book. When our current circumstances are confusing or simply don't make any sense, he lists seven things 
And let's just go through them briefly. Seven things to try to get a grip on reality. To stop seeing everything from a human point of view and put on the spiritual lens that God offers and look at it from his perspective. Number one, settle in your mind that God has forever demonstrated is unfailing to you from through the cross. And that love will never change. So if you're in rotten circumstances, you know what the first thing most people think? God's mad at me. He doesn't love me anymore. He's left me. I'm all alone. I'm in a mess now. Even God doesn't like me. You've got to, number one, you've got to say, that's against his nature. God is love. And when your kids messed up, did you stop loving them? I mean, you whooped them a little bit, but did you stop loving them? No, you didn't, you didn't stop loving them. You loved them. In fact, that's why you whooped them a little bit. Number two, do not try to understand what God is like from the middle of your circumstances. It's hard enough to figure out what God is like when you're outside of your troubled circumstances. If you're in the middle of the circumstances, don't try to figure everything out. Number three, go to God and ask him to help you see his perspective. In fact, this will be one of the biggest points tonight, and I'll get into it deeper toward the end. Why don't you, in the middle of the storm, go and say, Lord, just seek, knock, and ask. Say, would you let me see the reality of my circumstances from your perspective? I'm asking you, because right now I can only see them from mine. I'd like for you to give me eyes to see what you see. Why don't you try that? I, by the way, I, I've been doing that every day for quite a while now. Number four, wait on the Holy Spirit. He may take God's Word and help you understand your circumstances. Maybe, maybe you'll open the Bible. I did it again. Maybe you'll open the Bible and you'll read the answer to the exact same thing that you're looking for. And the Spirit will reveal it to you in a moment. Number five, adjust your life to God and to what you see Him doing in your circumstances. Number six, do all He tells you to do. Number seven, experience God working in and through you to accomplish His purposes. So, day three is when it gets practical. Okay, that's some good counsel, but quite frankly, unless you get, get something more practical, that just sounds real nice, but you'll never survive the storm. I got to tell you up front that day three was absolutely incredible for me. I'm just going to tell you, and here's the statement. You cannot know the truth of your circumstances until you've heard from God. Now, this is gonna, I hope it'll end up being as powerful for you tonight as it is me. All right, what does that mean? You cannot know the truth of your circumstances until you've heard from God. No matter what you think about your current circumstances, you do not know the truth until you've heard from God. He's the final statement on your circumstances. So here we go. Let me explain. Moses was obedient to God, and he went to Pharaoh. That meeting brought great hardship upon the people of Israel. Can you imagine being Moses as all the people began shouting against him? So, what was the storyline? Moses heard from God. He obeyed God exactly. He went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Pharaoh got mad, said, now they're going to make bricks without straw. And now everybody in Israel, everybody, all the Israelites in Egypt hate Moses. Moses, in that circumstance, what does he think? In the middle of that circumstance, what is Moses? See, I did what you told me to do, and it's all messed up. Everybody hates me. But he hasn't heard from God. Do you understand something? He's, he's trying to determine his circumstances, measure his circumstances without hearing from God. What's God's perspective on what just happened? What? Now they're going to have to make bricks without straw. You cannot know the truth about your circumstances until you've heard from God. That the truth is this. God wanted Pharaoh to resist. Do you think Moses could have possibly figured that out in advance? That's God's perspective. God wanted Pharaoh to resist so that God would reveal himself in powers and wonders to the Egyptians, to the Israelites, and we're still talking about it today. Now, here's the big point. When the Holy Spirit talks to you, he reveals truth. He communicates with you about a person. Truth is a person. Let's say it out loud. 
Truth is a person. We sometimes think truth is a set of information or facts, but truth of God is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, as you read this next scripture, God reveals himself through his names, and you cannot know the truth until you've heard from God. Circumstances don't always reveal the truth. I've got to take the circumstances, and then I've got to hear from God to decide what the circumstance really is. So here comes John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is revealing that he, not information, not facts and figures, not dates or history, he, a person, is the truth. So let's put that in perspective. You cannot know the truth about your circumstances until you've heard from God. All right? So if he is the truth, I cannot know the truth of my circumstances until I hear from Jesus. All right, stay with me. Stay with me. So let's go and look at that. Pilate asked perhaps the most important question of life. What is truth? Jesus before Pilate on crucifixion morning. Okay, here we go. John 18, 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said, Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, here it comes, here it comes. And for this, I came into the world. For what? To testify to the truth. Now, what did I just tell you? Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the truth. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify of the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to documentations. No, no. Listens to me. He is the truth. And then here comes Pilate, verse 38. What is truth? Pilate asks. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for charge against him. So what is the truth? Truth is a person. Circumstances don't always reveal the truth. You must hear from God. You must hear from Jesus. So if you're in the middle of some circumstances, let's say they're good circumstances, let's say they're bad circumstances. You do not know the truth about those circumstances in your life until you've heard from him. Now I'm going to show you what all that means. Truth was standing in front of Pilate and Pilate couldn't see him. Truth is not just some bit of information about a topic. Truth is a person. You can never know the truth of your circumstance until you've heard from God, until the truth has been revealed by God. So here comes a practical example. I love this example. Jesus' disciples were in a boat in a terrible storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was asleep on a pillar in the back of the boat while the disciples were in a terrible panic. What was their circumstance? We're all going to die. We're all going to die, and he's asleep. What, if, in that moment, in their crisis moment, in a boat, on the Sea of Galilee, what, if, they were, if you were to go around and ask every one of them, what is your present circumstance? We're going to die, and he's asleep. We're going to die, and he's asleep. Because what did it look like? We're going to die, and he's asleep. But you don't know the truth about your circumstance until you've heard from God. So let's read the story. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across the other side of the lake. I, I laugh at that because I think he's already figured out he's going to take a power nap and scare them. Let's go across the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up and high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. 
The disciples woke him up shouting, shouting, shouting. I don't think this was a calm discussion. Shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he saw the water. And he said to the water, excuse me, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? If they were to answer him in that moment, what would they have said? Because our circumstances said, we're going to drown and you're sleeping. But they hadn't heard from him yet, had they? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They ask each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know what I do when I take these stories? This was their Mary, Martha, and Lazarus moment. You know, I got goosebumps. Because I, I think, what a powerful revelation. Had Jesus not been napping, had it not taken them out into the storm, would they have ever known that he can do this? That he has immeasurably more than I ever asked or imagined? He can tell the wind to stop? He can make the water stop? They're having their Mary, Martha, Lazarus moment. God was going to reveal something very big to them, immeasurably more than anything they ever knew about him before. It says they're terrified. Who are you? Who are you? Truth was sleeping in the back of the boat. Go wake him up. Now, I told you this day was so big to me because this is, that's it right there. When you're in your circumstances, whether they're good or whether they're bad, doesn't matter. Truth is sleeping in the back of the boat. Go wake him up. Won't you try it? Go wake him up. You don't know the truth of your circumstances until you've asked Jesus. So why don't you go ask him? Lord, it looks like we're thinking here. What do you think? Be still. You think, well, that really worked well for them. He doesn't really do that today. You just be wrong. You just be wrong. If that's your attitude tonight, then, then, then you're missing it. Because that is the whole concept of experiencing God. Do you think the Holy Spirit's not doing work right now? You think you're in this class by accident? You think you're sitting in that chair tonight by accident, just as real as he took them out onto the water exactly at the right time with exactly the right wind velocity, and he was exactly sleepy on that pillow. All of that was providential. God was working everything out. God works everything out for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. He's still doing it. Truth was sleeping in the back of the boat. Go wake Him up. That's my challenge to all of you. That's my challenge to me. You will never know the truth of your circumstances until you go wake Him up. The same thing happened with the widow at the town of Nain. And just read the Scripture. Just keep walking through the Scripture. It's everywhere. What do you think that widow believed about, the tr about her truth as they carried her only son to the graveyard. She couldn't possibly know the truth about her circumstances until she heard from Jesus, right? She's a widow. She only has one son. That means now he's dead. He's in a coffin. They're carrying him out to bury him. That means she's all alone, right? She's a widow. She got one son. He's gone. And here comes Jesus. What's her circumstance? You ask this widow that day, tell me your circumstances. Tell me the status of your life. What would she say? My life's over. My life's over. My husband's gone. My son's gone. My life's over. And Jesus touched the coffin and said, get up. You don't know the truth of your circumstance until you've asked Jesus. He's asleep in the back of the boat. Go wake him up. Do you see how important it is for, it is for us to allow the Holy Spirit to see from God's perspective? John 14, 26. This is Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Go wake him up. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. Pray with expectancy. Read the Word with expectancy. Like I'm waiting for you to do this. You're going to remind me of everything. You're going to teach me all things. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why do you think he puts that in the context of do not be troubled and do not be afraid? What does it do to you when you know this? What does it do to you? It takes all the panic out of you. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't see anything that he can't handle in my life. Nothing. This is how you can find peace inside of terrible circumstances. This is how we process our fears when there is seemingly much to be afraid of. We must see our circumstances from God's eternal perspective. I can tell you, I see COVID-19 from God's eternal perspective. I do not see it from man's perspective. That's why I am not afraid and I am not about to panic. It is not in me. Sorry, it's not in me. I got people mad at me because they don't think I'm panicking enough. I got people mad at me because I won't take steps to be more afraid so that they would seemingly be less afraid. I'm sorry. That's not how I think. Because I see things from God's perspective. And I'm not being stupid. I'm not neglectful on this. I'm not saying it's not real. I just don't see it like the world sees it. I'm not going to. I just can't. We will never be able to know the truth of our circumstances until we've heard from Jesus. And I believe the Spirit still reveals truth. I still believe He lets us see things from His perspective if the Spirit is released in power and authority in our lives. Truth is sleeping in the back of the boat. Go wake Him up. Day four. Spiritual markers. Blackaby says, when God gets ready for you to take a new step or direction in His activity, it will always be in sequence with what he has already been doing in your life. I want you to visualize it like a set of steps. That's the best way I could kind of bring it to my own mind. You don't see the steps, but God sees them and he's moving you. If you're willing to believe and walk by faith, he's moving you up a series of steps. Every one of those crisis of belief moments that you experience and you turn toward him, you're actually walking up another step. And every one of those steps is moving you closer to Him. More at one, oneness with Him. And they're all going somewhere, and they all are all sequenced by God in advance. Listen to me. You and I have an important decision to make along the way. And yes, in the time of waiting, there's also decisions. We must live with our hearts open. This is real important. I want, you to, I want you to visualize in your mind, use your imagination, that this crisis of belief moments are actually like a set of stairs that move closer and closer, closer, closer to the relationship with God that your heart desires, that your soul's crying out for. We must live with our hearts open to whatever God is call, about to call us to do. Yes, anything, even a hut in Ethiopia, anything. We must be willing to say at any time, all right, here comes, you want a crisis moment? Here it comes. Every one of you, I'm talking to you, including me. We must be willing to say at any time, Lord, whatever I know to be your will, I will do it. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the adjustment, I commit myself ahead of time to follow you, follow your will, Lord. No matter what it takes, no matter what it looks like, I will do it. Now, here comes the crisis moment. If you're sitting in this room tonight or you're listening online, if you cannot say that as you begin to seek God's will, you do not mean it. What you're really saying, you're not going to say your will be done. What you're really saying is this, your will be done as long as it agrees with mine. So let me ask everybody a question. Here's a crisis moment right here. It's called truth. Are you willing to do anything, anything that he might possibly ask you to do exactly when he might ask it? Yes or no? There are only two words in the Christian language. There, excuse me, there are two words in the Christian language that cannot go together. You know what they are? 
No, Lord. Why? The word Lord means master. And I've told this a hundred times. I guess if I'm here longer, I'll tell it a hundred and one. In August of 1988, when I had this encounter with God, it was a crisis moment for me. He said, either you believe it all or you believe none of it. It was a crisis moment for me. That was the night that I had to answer this question. See, up to that point, the best way I could describe my life, and I think the Spirit gave me eyes to see it, because I couldn't see it before August of 1988. I couldn't see it. You'd ask me, I'd have denied it. Up till that point, Jesus was my Savior. I had him in my hip pocket, get out of jail free, get out of hell free. I got him, but he's right here. Jesus is my Savior. He's going to save me. But you know what he wasn't? He was not my master. And in August of 88, I had an encounter. I heard the Spirit say clearly, either you believe it all or you believe none of it. That night, I said, I will follow you no matter what you ask me to do. That became a marker for me. That became an important marker for me. Why? You cannot remain neutral. Do you understand? If you're in the room tonight, and if you just be honest with you, maybe you don't have to tell anybody else, but if you be honest with you, how many people in the church would never ever say, not really, you, no, 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 no. no. I, I'm not going to do anything. I might do some things. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the adjustment, I commit myself ahead of time to follow your, your will, Lord. No matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, I'll do it. If you cannot say that, if you cannot say that, as you begin to seek God's will, you do not, want, you do not mean your will be done. What you're saying is your will can be done as long as it aligns with my life. So who's God in that situation, in that equation, who's God? You are. You are. The defining moment when God finally broke through and revealed truth to me is when I came to the realization I couldn't answer that question correctly. I couldn't answer it. And that night he forced me into a crisis moment. And by the grace of God, I said, yes, Lord. And for the first time maybe in my life, I became usable in kingdom work. After you've dealt with this surrender issue fully, and I'm talking to everybody. Yes, you must deal with this issue fully, all or none. You're in or you're out. You cannot remain neutral. You cannot be undecided. We got an election coming up in a few weeks, right? How much is your vote going to count if you cast it undecided? Kind of stupid, isn't it? You cannot be undecided. You cannot be undecided in this either. In 1 Kings 18, 20, King Ahab summoned all the people of Israel to the prop and, and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Elijah, the great man of God, stood in front of them and said what needs to be said today. Actually, in the church, needs to be said today. How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people were completely silent. What do you think that last sentence means? They couldn't answer the question. Spiritual markers in your life will help you see God sequencing. And when I say spiritual markers, I can look back to August of 1988 and I see a set of stairs that I was finally able to go to the next step. But only after I was willing to answer that question that was revealed to me by the Holy Spirit. Either I am who I say I am, Terry, or I'm not. And either you believe me or you don't. And you cannot be in the middle. You cannot stay in the middle. Spiritual markers in your life will help you see God's sequencing. Why did God tell Joshua to pull 12 stones from the dry riverbed of the Jordan River? So they would never forget what God had done for them in the past. This is where spiritual markers help us remember God's faithfulness during our time of waiting. 
Uh, I don't know how many times in, uh, since 1988 that I have looked back at that moment and reset my compass. I look back at that moment, I recalibrate my measuring. All or none. No one's in the middle. From start to finish, yes, even before you were born, God is working out a divine plan for your life. Do you believe that? You know, you know why abortion is such an issue? Because even in your mother's womb, God was crafting a plan for your life. Jeremiah 1, 4. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you to be my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. I remember when I first got the call to go into the preaching, I said, Lord, I have no idea how to preach. I can't speak for you. I wasn't too young. I was too stupid. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. In other words, you know what that means? This conversation's over. And then the Lord reached out and he touched my mouth. And he said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Every event in your life up to this point has been seen and planned by God. He is calling us to himself and working out the good, the bad, and the ugly for his glory. And it's all based on love. Nobody's ever loved me like that. Even my grandma didn't love me like that. And my grandma loved me more than anybody I know. The next thing that God has for you is and has been directly connected to everything that you have experienced in him up to this point. You are not an accident of circumstances. God is sequencing the events of your life into his divine plan. Romans 8, 28. Everyone quotes it. Very few people understand it. And we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Day five, last one. God speaks through his church. I'm finding this next issue more and more and more and more and more. Let me explain what I say by that. Sometimes Christians think their walk with the Lord is independent of anyone else. I'm finding this more and more and more and more. Sometimes Christians think their walk with the Lord is independent of anyone else. I don't need anybody else. This is just me. This is just me. I'm hearing that all the time now. And they are not accountable to the church, to the body. It is true that every believer has direct access to God through Christ. That is true. No one's going to debate that. You don't need me to go to Jesus. You don't need the elders to go to Jesus. Every one of you has an individual path direct to God through Jesus Christ. However, God created the church as his redemptive agent in the world. He has a purpose for the church. God places every member in a church to accomplish his redemptive purposes through the congregation. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, the apostle Paul writes, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body. Who did it? The preacher? The elders? No. God has arranged the parts of the body. Every one of them just as he wanted them to be. Who's, who's put you here? God did. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. I look around this room tonight and we are all so different. 
We're all so different. We're not a bunch of clones. We're not the same. We're all very different. You bring gifts, spiritual gifts that I have no idea about. People, all of us have got this unique gift. And God has put them all in a place because what he wants us to do is all come into submission to the, to the authority of Christ under the head of the church. It's not me. It's not the elders. It's Jesus. And that we all come together. He wants to do this marvelous, redemptive work in mankind. In the body. And that's us. All of us. Mark, uh, excuse me, Matthew 25, 14. This is Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. So what are we talking about? Heaven. By the story of a man going on a long trip. I'll give you a hint. Jesus is the one leaving on the long trip. He, Jesus, called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last one. And what does he do? Why is he not giving the same amount of silver to every one of these cats? Because they can't handle it. Dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and he left on a trip. Everybody look at me. (laughs) He has given you something. And he's going to come and settle accounts. And he has put in your hands something and placed you inside the body. And he's going to one day come and settle accounts. Everybody didn't get the same. And don't look at me funny because I didn't decide who gets what. I got what I got. You got what you got. Be glad you got something. Nobody got zero. Amen? Who got zero? Nobody got zero. Each according to their abilities. Acts 2.46. The first century church. The early church. They worshiped together. You think it's important for us to meet? Yes, it is. How many people still right now today in the middle of this COVID-19? They don't think it's important to meet. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Each day. They met in their homes. Why? They, They understood this primary principle that... We need each other. For us to carry out the mission of the body of Christ, I need you. You need me. We need each other. They met in the homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals together with great joy and generosity, all while while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, who's adding to the church? Who's putting the pieces in the puzzle? The Lord added to their fellowship. Those who were being saved. God made us, the church, mutually interdependent. We need each other to reach our full potential in Christ. God communicates, speaks through the church in these last days. The local church is the body of Christ. The believers around the world are united under the kingdom of God. So I want you to look at it from two perspectives. Take the church worldwide. It is the kingdom of God scattered all over the world. Under the authority of King Jesus. But the local church, and let's just use Nineveh, is to function like a body. It is not part of a body. It is the body of Christ. You and I are the body of Christ. Do you think he's wanting to do anything during the COVID? Do you think he's quarantined? Do you think he's shut down? Or is this perhaps the greatest time the church will ever experience? What do you think? Does the Holy Spirit reveal it? Every member of the body needs to listen. I don't know why I put list. Listen to what other members say. Apart from the body, You cannot fully know God's plan for relating to God's people. I want everybody to listen carefully what I say. Apart from the body. So if these people have this idea that I really love Jesus, but I don't like the organized church. Lord, give me patience. Because the one who organized the church is Jesus. You've got a fundamental theological problem. I have a bunch of people say, I really like the church. I just don't like, I like, I like Jesus. I like the idea of the church. I don't like the organized church. I like to just do church by myself. 
It'd be like me saying, you know, this is a great, great thing to church if it just weren't for all these people. <laughs> be a lot easier. Apart from the body, the local church, you cannot know God's plan for relating to God's people. And by the way, do you think you're going to be all by yourself in heaven? Without the eye, I just think this is so powerful. Without the eye, the hand doesn't know what to touch. And one of you is an eye and another one of you is a hand. And without the eye, the hand wouldn't know what to touch. So he puts you together. And without the ear, the rest of the body may not know when or how to respond. Every member of the body needs to listen to what the other members say. So I'm going to give you two personal examples. We'll close. 734. One church member says something outside the office door. I did share this on a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. There was a church member, a random church member, that says something outside the office doors that confirms something I was seeking from God. God used that person who didn't even know at the time he was doing it to confirm a direction that I had been on my knees praying about. I needed him. Do you understand that? I needed him. He needed me. Here comes the second one. Another church member sends me a message that also confirms something I've been asking God about. I mean, it was so plain when I got it. I knew what it was. It was God's confirmation. This would not have happened apart from the body. We need each other. God speaks through the church in these last days. This is how I answered that final summary question for day five. Don't be afraid to let the body of believers assist you, Terry, in knowing God's will. So I'm listening. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this immeasurably more moment, for being an immeasurably more God. For no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived what you have planned for those who love you. But it has and is right now being revealed by the Spirit immeasurably more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.